You're listening to the Tools for the Modern Man podcast. If you're looking for the tools to deal with the challenges of this ever-changing modern world, you're in the right place. Now let's get it going. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Tools for the Modern Man podcast. I'm your host, Pete Beskis, and today I'm going to be doing a book review on The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. I absolutely love this book. Um, I think this is a must read for everybody. It's a concept that, you know, originated many, many years ago by Professor James Kars, who defined the difference between a finite game and an infinite game as it pertains to business. But I think this concept really applies to our everyday life more so than even business. And the idea that we're always chasing these finite goals and these finite targets of ours to something that until we die is infinite. It's always ever changing. It is unique to us. There's so many differentiations that happen and so many unique solutions for each human being. And I think what happens from a very early age is we get caught up with sports, with games, with things that have a more finite structure to them. And then we like to, because they're easy to understand and more controllable, we like to try to apply that concept in all the aspects of our life. So just let's get started by defining what the difference between a finite game and an infinite game is. And really it's the known, um, in a finite game, There are known players, there are fixed rules, there is an agreed upon objective or outcome, and then at some point in time, the game ends. You know, sports is always used as an analogy for this. So, you know, if you're looking at a hockey game, you have 60 minutes, three 20-minute periods, and whoever has the higher score at the end of the game, two teams wins. There's rules within the rules, et cetera, et cetera. How this varies from an infinite game, though, is that in an infinite game, there are known and there are unknown players. There could be rules, and then the rules could also not exist. Um, Every single person involved in the infant game has a different objective, and the game never ends. You know, it's almost like, have you ever, as a child, sat there and practiced dribbling a basketball, and all you wanted to see was how long you could keep dribbling for, and then when you stopped, you would just keep doing it again? Or with the tennis racket, how many times you could hit the ball against the wall before you screw up? And that's very much... The concept of an infinite game. Now, finite games are great when we're playing games, but in the infinite side, it's really about just getting better or improving or keeping the game going. And this applies to relationships. It applies to our careers. It applies to um, our children and fitness. Fitness is an infinite game, right? Wealth is an infinite game. It's something that you're constantly doing. It's something that you're constantly improving or taking a setback, you know, there's a different, your different trajectory on each one of those things. So what kind of defines, what are the components of a infinite game and how to keep these things going? Well, infinite games are hard. And I think this is why we all fall back to the finite kind of thinking. We want to see an end when, because infinite games are tiring. They're exhausting. They're just doing the effort for the sake of doing the effort. And that's where we can learn or lose motivation. And that's where we can become disenchanted with no idea of an outcome. So we revert back to these finite games so that we can win or feel like we're winning. 
because that's what's been entrenched in us and taught to us from a very young age is winning feels good, but doing the action doesn't, right? For a lot of things that we do every day. And I think this comes up in our careers, especially in businesses. You know, I spent 20 plus years in the oil and gas industry. And what I did notice was that when I was killing it, when I was feeling the most energetic, I was playing an infinite game. Yes, I had a salary. Yes, we had targets. We had all this stuff. But it was about growing something. It was about creating something unique. And it felt into that first thing that Simon Sinek talks about, which is the just cause. Every time I started something new or got to something new, there was this just cause. Like, oh, I get to be be part of something that is at the ground level and I get to help grow it. And for me, that was exciting. And then with every company, and I saw this across the board, you can only grow to so much and then you flatten and plateau. And at that point, you get out of this growth mindset and you go into a preservation mindset. So now you start stop taking risks, you stop taking chances, you stop doing the aggressive things that got you to where you were because now you're trying to preserve what you have and prevent it from evaporating. And that's kind of where you get into this um, where you can also transition from finite to fine to infinite. If you're at a place where it's that's the objective, their just cause is to create wealth for the masses. Well, then that could be your infinite game. That could be a just cause. But a just cause has to give you a reason to sacrifice, to work hard. You have to love it. You have to really be inspired by this just cause because it's about the future. So if you're just maintaining in the present, usually that's when you're going to become disconnected from something. This is something I also saw in corporate when originally you're working for somebody and you have this great vision of what you want to create. And then other people start to change that goal and make it more into a finite game of meet the quarterly numbers, meet the monthly numbers, meet the annual targets. And that gets exhausting because you're treating every single period like an intense game. And that is where you burn out. And that is where you start to disconnect from the reason why. Um, one of my least favorite motivating statements when I was in corporate was return on shareholder value. If there's nothing less inspiring than that sentence, please share it with me because I couldn't care less about the return on shareholder value even if I was a shareholder, because I was such a small shareholder compared to everybody else. There was no inspiration behind that. So meeting abstract targets, meeting, you know, trying to always please the market, the market in quotations, wasn't what my just, wasn't aligned with my values or my just cause. And what happens is that the idea of just, you know, serving a master isn't a just cause. A just cause is something that would inspire you to help you to grow. A just cause is really about the kind of things that I get to do now where I get to teach men and teach people the tools they need to enjoy their life, to succeed in the future, to plan something they can get excited about and go and execute on, right? I'm more inspired now by the idea of giving each person their own just cause that helps them to heat up 
and get fire and bring that passion back so they can apply it to their lives and their businesses and their workforce and all and have that ripple effect all the way around them. So the just cause is really important as it pertains to the infinite game. The second piece to the puzzle is building a trusting team. And how do we build trusting teams? What does that mean? Well, it means what kind of leader are you? What kind of leader are you going to show up to? Trust is kind of the critical component of that team. Do the people you surround yourself with believe that you believe in that just cause? And do they trust you to have their back as you go forward? So this looks like a culture of vulnerability. It looks like a culture of servant leadership. It's where you value trust above performance. And he gives a great example of the Navy SEALs and how they pick their you know, recruits. And they put it on like a, a bar graph of performance versus trust. And they're always looking, right? The favorite person you're always going to look for is someone who's high performance, high trustworthiness. So high competent and highly trustworthy. And then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is low competence, low performance, and low trust. But then the debate comes, okay, do you take a high person or person with high performance and low trust over someone who has low performance and high trust? And in the Navy SEALs, they'll always pick the person with the high trust first, even if they're a lower performer than someone who has high performance, low trust. And that's because they believe in a teamwork in a team that can support each other. And you can only support each other if you're willing to be vulnerable and if you're willing to ask for help and if you're willing to be a servant, to put the needs of the many ahead of the needs of yourself. That selflessness is critical, but you need to foster that. And that's where you as a leader and you as part of, you know, for your vision, for your infinite game, have to develop those skills where the people around you trust you. In a microcosm, take your family, take your core family, whether you're married, whether you're not married, whether you have children, the circle around you, do they trust you? Do you show up consistently having their back? Or are you showing up scratching your own needs first? And I'm not saying taking care of yourself first, but only thinking about yourself versus how you can help, how you show up to help the people around you and how you show up to put to support them and put them in the in the position to succeed. Every good leader is a coach and every good coach is a good leader because they're putting the people around them in the place to succeed while also working on themselves constantly to learn and evolve and grow. So to summarize the kind of the second point, if the first point is having a just cause, a really good mission to aim for that never ends having a team and cultivating the team is the work that you do. That is the actual work. And everything comes out of that. The third one that he talks about is studying worthy rivals, the importance of having a worthy rival. Coke and Pepsi, right, are each other's worthy rivals. One group kind of competes with the other, but they're never going to win the war of colas. They're just always trying to stay alive, stay relevant, stay in the game. They'll come up with different products that are the same. They'll come up with different branding. They'll come up with different ways to create a Pepsi group and a Coke group, right? Um, the examples he also gives is 
Microsoft versus Apple, right? Very much two megaliths in the you know computer world, and yet they're not really in direct competition with each other. They're rivals creating their own groups where you're either a Microsoft person or an Apple person on your personal computers. I like to look at this on a personal level. I had a worthy rival growing up. He was my cousin, my cousin George. Um, we were four months apart. We grew up together like brothers. He is an exceptional athlete and always has been. And as boys do, we competed constantly in sports. He was always better than me, always. And we used to play basketball on the driveway, you know, shooting hoops. And I had to say, I, I didn't think I was a good basketball player, but I had to be better to keep up with him. And he pushed me and I always pushed myself to keep up. Now, internally, I always wanted to beat him. But as I got older, I realized that that's not the game. The game was just to compete with him, to be able to enjoy our competition, to be able to enjoy each other's successes. And as that evolved into business and as that evolved into parenting, um, my cousin is still my worthy rival. We don't compete in terms of me trying to undermine him or me trying to be jealous of him. No, it's the exact opposite. I am so invested in his success because it helps and inspires me to become successful as well and to work harder and to change and to never be satisfied with where I am, to appreciate where I am, but to always think that I can push myself harder and I can be a better version of myself. So my worthy rival is a person I love, one of the people I love the most in this world, because I look at them and they inspire me to be better. And that's what a worthy rival should do. And I think that when you look in your lives and you look at Jason and the people around you, find that person who inspires you and really cherish them and really hold them close and keep being inspired and keep pushing yourself to be better because of that person. Now, the fourth one, as we get into the book, it's really about, can you be flexible? Do you have the ability to pivot when some massive event happens in your you know, existence along the path of your infinite game. And I think this is critical in business, but it's also critical in your personal life because we have upheavals all the time. An upheaval could be, you know, a financial crisis. An upheaval could be, you know, a pandemic that shut us down for two plus years. Or it could be just as, you know, simple as, well, not simple, but it could be, something that's just a ripple in your relationship and can you pivot and can you be flexible enough and to adapt to those things one of the key traits of a strong leader as it pertains to the infinite game is flexibility it's avoiding being rigid it's avoiding digging in your heels and being immovable because that person is now playing a game where the rules have changed. And if we go back to the definition at the beginning, in an infinite game, the rules can change. You're not playing a finite game anymore. The clock, there is no buzzer at 60 minutes that ends it. 
And as life changes and life evolves, the rules do change. And we see that with laws being made. We see that with things being overturned, um, you know, the Supreme Court. Every single day, the rules can change on you. And you have to be flexible enough and open to the change to adapt accordingly. And the last point that Simon makes, and I think this is a critical one too, you know, there is like the five points. Do you have the courage to lead? And I brought this up in another uh, another podcast episode, I think the one before this, where it's just like, are you average or are you not average? And we all have the capability of being courageous. Courageousness is basically acting in the face of fear. With fear, taking the stance. And to be a leader, what it means to be a leader, especially in the infinite game, is to make a decision. To choose something that you know to be correct and to stick with it and have the courage to go forward with it. Now, that might seem a little incongruent to can you be flexible, can you pivot? But pivoting when a major event happens to you is essential for success. Having the courage to see through a plan is that you know, is also essential once you make that pivot. You don't want to be the wishy-washy person who's flip-flopping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's not what he what is meant by courage and pivot. It's make the massive move that you know you need to make and see it through. So in summary, you know, there's the five pieces to how to succeed at the infinite game. And one is creating your own just cause. And I think this is where a lot of people struggle is they're purposeless. And it is key to have a purpose. It is key to have something that you wake up for every day that inspires you to be better. Number two is creating that environment around you where you feel like you belong to a team, right? Being that leader that, gra- that people gravitate towards, creating a trusting team. Number three, finding a worthy rival that inspires you. Number four, be prepared to be flexible. And number five, having the courage to lead. And I know I just summarized it and gave you kind of my thoughts on this book, but I really recommend you pick it up and read it for yourself. I put so many notes down and had so many insights as I was reading it, reflecting back on my life. And I think you're really going to get a lot out of it by going through. This is one of those books I recommend you actually read, not just get the Coles Notes version. But if you want the Coles Notes version, you've got this podcast. And I really hope you enjoy it and talk to you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Tools for the Modern Man podcast. If you like what you heard today, drop me a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. And if you want to learn more about working with me, you can always look me up at www.petebeskis.com. Thanks and see you all next week.